Today's episode is brought to you by me. Still mostly just brought to you by me. However, my friends over at DefiantBean.com are trying to help out too, but they can't do it alone. Defiant Bean Roasters take responsibly sourced quality coffee beans, lovingly and caringly roast them, sometimes while listening to the Enormacast apparently. Then they put them in a bag, still warm, in a box, and send them to you. So fresh, the beans think they're on a little vacation right up until they hear the grinder fire up. But anyway, DefiantBean.com is offering EnormaCast listeners a deal. 10% off any order, and we, the royal we over here at the EnormaCast, get 10% as well. That's DefiantBean.com. Enter Enormo in the coupon code at checkout and get 10% off great coffee. Or head over to EnormaCast.com. Click on the Defiant Bean banner for details. Be defiant. Demand fresh roasted coffee. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place outside of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. You really, really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Okay, welcome to the Normal Cast. This is Chris Caruse, your host. It is Sunday, November 2nd. It's about 10.30 Mountain Standard Time, 10.30 in the evening, that is. And even though it's the second, and I try to get these out on the first, if you'll remember... In the Enormacast bylaws, it clearly states that if the first falls on a weekend, I get till Monday to put it out. So I still win this round. On today's show, my friend Brittany Griffith sits down on a little tiny seat on a sandbar in the middle of a river. Yeah, that's right. This is a special Enormacast. It was recorded remotely uh, while we sat on an island in the Green River in the middle of a cold night. And uh, on the old off play podcast, we used to say it was like sitting around a virtual fire and talking about climbing. Well, on this episode, we are sitting around an actual fire. It was raging because it was cold. And um, it's made for an interesting recording. There's a lot of sort of background wood noise, as well as uh, Jonathan Thiesinga, Brittany's husband, futzing with the fire and a bunch of other crap. So, um, anyway, it's kind of fun. I'm happy with the recording anyway. And what I did was I took a little MP3 recorder and taped it to a stick with some climbing tape and then shoved it in the sand between us. So that's how we got this one. If you're not driving or operating heavy machinery or something while you're listening to this, then just sit back and close your eyes because I'm sure your toes will start to warm with the sounds of the fire crackling in the background. And I hope you enjoy it. In some other business, a new shipment of stickers has come in. I changed the colors up a little bit. So the uh, black and white ones, the original 500 that I had out there, are now collector's items. So congratulations. I'm sure they've skyrocketed in value on eBay as a result of this broadcast. 
And uh, the new color is a, just a little bit of yellow. I just noticed that the other one was a little hard to see on a window of a car. So that's really the only reason I changed the color up. And uh, so we've got those in. So if you want some stickers, be sure and uh, send me your address at chris at enormacast.com with a request for stickers. And I'll get some out to you. Even folks in other countries, yes, I've managed, I think, to get them pretty far around the world. I have confirmed arrivals in uh, Australia, a couple European arrivals. Um, I missed the mark in Japan. Uh, I don't know why that didn't arrive, but I'm going to try again with that one. And even as far away as Canada, I've made it to Canada. And I've actually got some t-shirt designs uh, in the works and not just in the works, but finished and with the t-shirt guy. So hopefully before Christmas, we'll have t-shirts to sell and um, you guys can stuff stockings with t-shirts. I know everyone in your family will want one. All right. Well, I think that's about it. Uh, the only thing, the last thing I'd say is that um, if you feel like this thing has been worthwhile over the last year and you've been listening for a while, or even if you just started listening, Please consider donating a little money over at the website at anormalcast.com. There's a donate button. Any little bit will help and uh, go towards buying more stickers and uh, dealing with these T-shirts and all those sorts of things. So please consider um, kicking down a cost of a block of chalk or a cup of coffee or a six-pack to help this thing move along. All right, that's it. Let's go to uh, the sandbar. We'll take a little one-hour cruise to the sandbar with Brittany Griffith. C'était un tout petit bateau sur l'eau du Pacifique Dans un pays où il fait chaud sous le ciel de Pépite A bord il y avait le matelot et le vieux capitaine Cinq passagers partis sur l'eau pour trois Too close to the fire. I definitely feel like I'm on Gilligan's Island right now. <laughs> Look it, this is what they have on Gilligan's Island. I know we would, except for there'd be some coconut involved somewhere. <laughs> they would have put it. Be too, we'd be wearing coconut headphones <laughs> if we were on Gilligan's I'd Island. I love that show. All right. I kind of understand Marianne. Like she had like cut off shorts and a little like plaid shirt that she tied off, but Ginger had a new outfit every day. Did she? Yeah. They had yeah, their Marianne luggage. Had the same, no, Marianne had the same thing on every day. That is a good question because they were supposedly on a three-hour tour. Mm-hmm. But Ginger always had, like, some new, like, vampy, super skin-tight booby dress on. <laughs> it's actually, uh... It Jonathan, would you rather be Ginger or Marianne? Who? Me. Ginger for sure. Really? Ginger was hotter, but Marianne was cooler. Yeah, well. Like forever? Yeah. Ginger. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because that's what I choose. (laughs) Because she's sexy? Yeah. Mm. I like sexy. (laughs) We're actually recording right now. Are you so, sure? Yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yep. 
I want to make this melted headphones are working. I didn't melt your headphones. <laughs> Is that thing? It's just a. It's just a little. It's a little MP3 recorder. Um, do you remember when we met? You told me when we met. I know, but you don't remember it, do you? No, I kind of do. I was in your car. Yeah. In your truck. Yeah. You were giving me a ride. Yeah. And I said <laughs> that climbing at Indian Creek was as, was just the same as like sport climbing, but easier. Yeah. You could just like plugging in a cam was as easy as clipping a bolt. No, one of the other things that you claimed was that there was really no difference if you had the gear pre-placed. Half a second difference at yeah. Indian Creek. Right. So. And maybe five pounds. Yeah, which was really offensive to me. So, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anyway, your but yeah, we were ego. Your trad climbing ego. We were driving back, and actually, that um, if you're playing the normal cast drinking game, which is uh, if I mentioned Indian Creek, you have to drink. Oh, so really? I just, yeah, I, I wanted to get started. That's with that. going to cut your beer uh, allotment <laughs> down because you only have three beers. You only have I only have three beers left. Um, so I'm sitting here and with the whole uh, time that I'm here. I'm drinking your beers. I know that's okay. true because I've. I've I've uh, trapped you into this. So um, a lot of people write in and say that this thing sounds like the climber chat that you would hear around a fire. And around a fire. I know. And this one, we're actually sitting in front of a fire. I've got a recorder attached to a stick um, stuck in the sand. Gilligan's Island style. <laughs> Gilligan's Island style. Sure. And we are actually on an island. <laughs> we are <laughs> Sandbar Island. We're on a sandbar on the Colorado River in front of the Green, Green River. River Towers. Oh, yeah. We're on the Green River. Green River. Yeah. We're in front of the Green River Towers, uh, which we've been here for two days. And I've been sort of stalking Brittany and tr- trying to make her sit down with me. So now I'm sitting down with her. Um, she's sitting across the fire from her husband, Jonathan Thiesinga, who's vowed to not say a peep. He will peep in for sure. So she's a little self-conscious, but she's going to try to get over that. Try. Um, so yeah, we met. This was uh, when was it? It was like late '90s. Yeah, it was probably like I had gone back to Gunnison, so it was probably like 1998. And you turned up at Clark Mountain, and then for some reason, you stayed with us. I probably got enough of Joe. Yeah, it might have been. Maybe. Yeah, or it might have been right at the end of that. In like the fight, the, or in of Joe? And well, he wasn't there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure of that. No, I'm totally sure of that. But I think maybe you guys were on the outs, or I don't know if you were on the outs more than once, but or if there was just a final ending to that. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But you stayed with us in Vegas with my friends Elisa and Bruce. Yep. And uh, Yeah, totally. And um, But I can't remember how that all transpired, but I do remember giving you a ride back from Clark Mountain, and you... Uh, we had a connection. Yeah, sort of. I was like, <laughs> what does she know about crack climbing? So... <laughs> Dumb sport, bitch. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, but uh, how long have you been climbing? Since 94. 1994? Yeah. Okay. So, what's that? 20 years ago, or no, 18 well, years 18. ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where did you... climbing since I was three. Right. Where... <laughs> Where did you grow up? Well, I lived in Missouri until I was 12, uh-huh. and then moved to Iowa, Um. Because, you know, you don't have much choice where you live when you're 12, so you right. know where your parents are. And then I um, went to high school there and then college there. Lived there till I was 24. 23 or 24. And then I went, um, I started climbing. Well, kind of. I started right. climbing. So how did you start climbing? A lot of people ask me that. Like, oh, I was this girl that travels around the world <laughs> climbing for a living from Iowa. You know, come to do that and... The short answer is a boyfriend. 
I started dating this guy, uh, Todd, who um, was outdoorsy. And I wanted to become more outdoorsy, so I uh, agreed to go on this road trip with him. I didn't know what a road trip was. It was what did he say a road trip was? Traveling around the around the country, rock climbing and mountain biking. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I loaded up a bag of clothes and got in his truck and left Iowa. And Had you graduated by then? Sort of. Sort of? What does that mean? Well, I sort of thought, I thought I had graduated. So I had a job all through college, so I didn't, like, get in and out in four years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, after four years, I took a couple classes a, a semester. You know, I, I, I thought that I had graduated, but because it was, you know, three or four years after I was supposed to graduate, I didn't really pay attention, and I never had to, you know, fill out an application or a resume or anything that needed to prove that I had this degree. And um, I think, I don't know, it's like already living in Oregon, 25 years old, and I had for like, uh, I don't know if it was for the rental agreement or something super not related to my college degree. I had to prove that I had this um, degree. And I called the University of Iowa for my transcripts and they're like, oh, you're one credit short of graduating. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I need to see my transcripts. Did and you start to sweat? Well, yeah. Because that would have freaked... That'd be like a dream I would yeah, have. Like, no, I'd have a dream have that nightmares. I got that happened to me. So, they're like, oh, uh, yeah, actually, um, you flunked racquetball. I'm like, what? I just so did not flunk racquetball? I didn't. Like, I would never flunk racquetball. I played racquetball since I was four years old. <laughs> So, um, yeah. You're I was, fucking kidding me. No. So what happened? So I had to take poetry online to actually graduate. So I took poetry, um, like computers that just come out or something. Right, because, like yeah, yeah, that was... Yeah, that was way, way back. And so I took poetry. Extended learning. Yeah, and then I finally graduated. But, oh. yeah. But that was probably in 95. So, yeah, I went to college for nine years, I guess, officially. Well, let me go back a little bit. What kind of kid were you? I was... Because uh, you said you kind of, like, wanted to become more outdoorsy, so I gather you weren't... Well, I'm from the, well, from the Midwest, you know, I did all the Midwest things, like rack, racquetball, um, softball, basketball, right. track and field, volleyball, all that shit. Sports. Sports. Yeah, sports. And I was, like, you know, varsity, four sports a year, but I didn't do anything like climbing or skiing or mountain biking or right. any of the outdoor stuff. You know, my mom took us camping and on canoe trips every once in a while. But I definitely would not have considered myself outdoorsy. I mean, in college, I was in a sorority. Right. Which one? So... Do you want to give a shout-out as well as wondering? Delta, Delta, Delta. <laughs> really? Date won't. Try it out. Yep. Until I got kicked out. I did get kicked out. Can you elaborate on that? Getting kicked out? Yeah. Oh. Or would you rather not? Well, I went to other sorts of, <laughs> you know, you had to go to these parties um, with the certain fraternities. And if I didn't really like the fraternity that my sorority was having a party with, then mm-hmm. I would go and just kind of crash the other parties. You know, like the Pikes. I like the Pikes better than the Delts. And, you know, so. My brother was a Pike. He was? Yeah. but was up hot? No. The Pikes were hot at Iowa. Well, no, he was at Iowa State. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. go on. Okay, so um, 
that and you know i didn't like to pay my bills and stuff like that and so yeah i got kicked out senior year i cried really i pretended like i was sad yeah really yeah i think that's a, a bit of a badge of honor at this point <laughs> but uh, i don't want to ruin any sort of legacy you have with the tri delts <laughs> so we'll move on from that triple nipple <laughs> all right so back to this road trip i interrupted you so you went on a road trip with uh with todd mm-hmm. so you're on this road trip going where do you remember the climbing areas you hit? Oh, yeah, for sure. The first um, place we went to, which is essentially the first place I ever rock climbed, was uh, Bidvu. And, you know, it's all trad climbing and multi-pitch climbing. And I get all scratched up and bloody. And I just, like, loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing. And, you know, we camped and, you know, lived outside and, you know, climbed every day. And, and it was... You know, kind of the first the first thing that really made sense to me. I know that sounds stupid, but I still remember sitting in this field and, you know, I just made, like, pancakes or whatever and uh, sitting in my Crazy Creek chair just thinking, I really want to do this. This is what I want to do. And it sounded ridiculous to myself, even to myself. Like, how can you do this? Who does this? But the experience of it was so... Uh, powerful sounds cheesy but like it really was it was it consumed me so had you climbed at all i mean no. had you climbed like no. on an I indoor went, wall so or? no no there, there so, was an indoor wall so this guy then. was kind of amazing yes i loved him a lot yeah right. and i if you were just I like I i'm did. in i'm going i did you know like at the beginning i think that's what it was like i was really enamored with him but then like he showed me this this life that I never knew was out there, but was in me somehow. Like, I always knew I wanted to get out of Iowa and go and be out west and travel and do this kind of stuff. But I didn't know how. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I didn't even... It was... Yeah, it was was strange. And then this, you know, being exposed to this whole rock climbing, traveling around thing, I was like, whoa, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if it was serendipitous or what, but, like... It hit me, and I knew, you know, like that was the, that was what I wanted to do. And it was before. I mean, I didn't know people made a living climbing. I didn't know even. I didn't even know people traveled around climbing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought we were the only ones that did that. Well, if you you're know? from the Midwest, because I grew up in Chicago, you don't. Right, you don't know that that goes on. I mean, you have no idea. Like, especially in 94, is yeah. that when it was? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was five years earlier, 89. Like, there was so little mainstream media interest in it. I mean, there still isn't. But I only remember, like, seeing... I read an article about John Backer, and, and I think it was outside. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I originally piqued my interest. But even at, by reading that, I had I was the same way. I had no idea what you did to become that or i just for me i knew i had to go to colorado or go west was my right. only thing yeah. you know no i didn't even know that people like because the places that we went to there weren't that many climbers around sure Viva i remember Viva, like yeah. going i remember being um god where were we i think it was gray rock or somewhere and we we finally saw two other people climbing excuse me and i remember being like oh these people are here they're ruining my experience you know like god i'm the only rock climber on earth i do i remember that it was so weird and yeah i i didn't i i had no concept that 
you know, hundreds of other people right. did it. Um, hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. <laughs> of hun- hundreds of hundreds of other people well, did you it. Know, I mean, Beta is still a backwater. No, we never saw anybody. Yeah, and in 1994, yeah, yeah. there was hardly anybody yeah. there. I imagine we, we might have not seen people until we went to um, City Rocks. Okay. And then I was just like, please. Right. Can't you go somewhere else? Now you can't even get a campsite up there unless you book it the year before. Yeah. So, all right, so let's fast forward because you kind of told me a little bit of this before. So you end up in Bend. Yes. We kind of like made our way through those states, you know, Wyoming, um, Colorado, Nevada, Utah, Idaho, and we ended up in Bend at Smith Rock. And it's funny, like, I don't know if I ever told you this, probably not, but... I had this idea that I wanted to live in Oregon because, this is going to sound ridiculous, because I saw an Oregon license plate once and it had the tree on it. Uh-huh. I thought that was super, super cool. And I was like, I got to live in Oregon because I really love that license plate. You know, because it had like the pine tree on it. It was all like west. And so we, um, you know, and Todd had like similar, uh, I think maybe he had been to Eugene or something. So, in the back of our minds, we wanted to live in Oregon at some point. So, after three months, we went to Smith Rock in August, which, if anyone knows anything about anything, you don't go to Smith Rock in August. It's boiling hot. But we went there, you know, climbed in the dihedrals in the full-on sun, lived in the grasslands when you could still, you know, camp there, and stayed there like a month, and then decided to, um, you know, get jobs, like uh, itinerant jobs, like work at the mountain or something, because we were both snowboarders, too. And so we, you know, rented this little house and decided, you know, we'd stay there for a few months and um, see where that took us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Todd got, like, a real job, you know. He had gone to um, grad school and got his degree in uh, environmental planning and actually getting kind of a professional job in Bend um, wasn't that easy and he did you know it was just kind of this surprise thing which was you know kind of good and and bad um, good in that yeah it was he, he got a professional job in Bend and bad in that oh there what about the road trip you right. know and uh, you know I, I tried I tried to have kind of a normal job. I worked as a um, gymnastics and taekwondo coach at one of the gyms there. Um, I like got a job as a guide, even though I'd been climbing like a year. Mm-hmm. I like budged that and guided for one of the local guide schools there. Um, but you know, it still it still wasn't enough. I still found myself, you know, like sleeping in my car and the grasslands parking lot you know 45 minutes from my house in bend with uh, i got married to him too so my husband right <laughs> and uh you know i felt like oh just really i still hadn't met you know anyone that was climbing full time and doing it all and but that's what i i wanted to do and so let me kind of put a frame around this so you you're a sorority girl Midwest girl in Iowa 
you go, you become a rock climber, you go on this huge road trip, you get married, mm-hmm. and you're in band. And what is the time frame of that? Like of this massive, like earth oh, it's moving less than change? A year. Less than a year, this yeah. all goes down. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, go ahead. And I'm just climbing at at Smith Rock, and you know, I I meet some. There were some people there that were on a road trip, and um, yeah, I, I met them, and and uh, or actually it was Joe Brooks, mm-hmm. and you know he was this dude living in his van, traveling around rock climbing. I was like, oh my god, that's exactly what I want to do. I didn't even know you could do that, you know. And um, so I uh, started climbing with him, and and I just kind of left Bend. Actually, right. and left and left taught it was like the hardest most awful thing I ever did in my life uh-huh. you know um, but it was yeah it was it was hard in that I felt so abnormal you know like no I'm supposed to have this like normal life with this house and this you know job and and you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't escape the, the feeling of wanting to do, you know, just keep that road trip going. Right, you know? well, I, I, I mean. I didn't know how to do it, you know, and it's, it was pretty obvious that Todd wasn't, like, into that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted the job and wanted the house and, mm-hmm. and, uh. You know, it was awful. I was like, oh, I really screwed up, you know? Right. Um, well, I think, I mean, again, I, I came from the from the Midwest, and it's like everything, your life up to that point had been pointing you towards that. Because I know, you know, you're going to college, so you can then, what, get a job, and then yeah. you can start a family, yeah. and you can mm-hmm. buy a house. So, especially having not been exposed to that, you know, maybe if you grow up in Boulder or you grow sure. up... Sure. And you know people that have right. done that. And you're like, okay, I'm right. not such a freak. You know, but, I know yeah. one other person. If I would have known one other person, right. maybe I wouldn't have felt like such an idiot. But, right. like, yeah. So, you know, it's hard. It's like, I don't know, like, did I go with that person because I felt, you know, a, a, a kinship with them? And I think that's actually what mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, I had a lot, not just to, to learn about how you, you did that, but just, I wasn't, I, I didn't feel alone anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, what I felt was an abnormality. Right. Wanting to live in your car. Right. And travel around, not, not have this job to pay this rent, to pay, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff, the convention, the things that convention tell you. When I first decided to, you know, leave my somewhat normal life, it wasn't that normal. Right. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to become a professional climber. It was just like, oh, I just want to, you know, figure out a way to make 500 bucks a month so I can put gas in the RV and buy food. Right. You know, um, I never, ever, to this day, I never had aspirations to be like a pro climber and make money from climbing. Right. It didn't matter where the money came from it was just uh, you know what was going to be able to feed the feed the need i guess how do you live Joe with was in doing that it, and, you know right. he was like whatever he was doing i mean god it wasn't like he was making thousands of dollars a month um but 
he, you know, he had a couple sponsors, and I remember the, I think the first job, the first time I ever got paid by a climbing company was from 510, and it was his sponsor, and they, uh, was at a trade show, and they needed someone to work in the trade show booth, and I was like, oh, I can do that, you know, I used to do that in college for the company that I worked for, you know, I had a t-shirt printing company in college, and we went to trade shows, and so I was like, yeah, I can do that. And so that was kind of the beginning of being able to be useful to different companies. You know, it was I never had the attitude like, oh, who's going to give me what for what I'm doing? It was like what I could do for them. And it had nothing to really do with physical activity of rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I can work in a trade show booth and sure. set it up and sell shoes or, or whatever, you know. I can be at the Phoenix Bouldering Contest and tell people about these rad sports sure. bras. It wasn't like, oh, I climbed 512, give me, you know, well, I, I, bucks a month. You know, I, you don't know this, and we've been friends for a while now, but I always use you as an example of, you know, when people are asking me questions about, you know, how sponsorship works and why this person's sponsored and that person's not sponsored because there's always there's a lot of times this like you know bullshit argument about who climbs harder and how is that person sponsored when they don't even climb that hard and personally i always use you as an example of of exactly what you said of of someone who is out there who climbs really well but like you just said is is useful to a company makes herself useful says presenting yourself as a great face to whoever you're representing you know besides that you're out there climbing really hard as well but anybody who would say you have to climb 514 to be sponsored or you have to be on the top of the game to be sponsored it's like it's not really all about that that whole mentality of climbing 514 or whatever isn't very sustainable either. So I actually kind of think I'm lucky that I've always kind of sucked at climbing because, like, you know, I never could rest on that. You know, right. it was never like, give me this because I climbed this hard. It's like, right. well, you know, I've always climbed 512. So, you know, I always had to be something to the company not just like the super you know sponsored hero Mm -hmm. and and, you know even the word sponsor kind of creeps me out it's like i don't really no you work for companies yeah i work for them you know like i do stuff right and um fortunately the companies that i'm with now are open to different things that i can i can be useful for Mm -hmm. not just Mm -hmm. you know climbing like writing and jesus even you know black diamond gives you know, it gives me jobs catering. So it's like <laughs> staying with a company that you grow with too. And, you know, Black Diamond and Patagonia are both like that. Both companies go out of their way to find things. Why pay, you know, some other company that isn't in the in the tribe. Or in it's, the family, yeah, yeah for in sure. The family. It's like those guys could hire any caterer or any copywriter or whatever, mm-hmm. but like they do care about. The, the people that are, you know, are and have been in the industry and committed to the to the community, I guess. So you're just sort of downplaying your ability to climb. How would you characterize yourself as a climber, if somebody asked? Um, I think I can climb pretty, you know, I can climb, I, I've climbed, whatever, like 512 and 
20 countries. Right. You know, like all over the world, I can mm-hmm. climb pretty decent. You know, not like I'll never climb harder than 13A, probably. Right. <laughs> but, like, to me, it's much more interesting to, you know, climb all these different places and all these different disciplines, medium grade, mm-hmm. than to focus on one. So, even focus on one sport right. in high so school. Right. So if you, you know, if we, I guess what I'm getting at is if like you had the the perfect day, like what are you doing? Are you placing gear? Are you clipping bolts? Are you doing multi pitch climbing? Are you, you know, what what's your my favorite? I mean, someone of, who doesn't know what kind of climber kind of you are. Day, I love sport climbing. You know, like I like the the simplicity of it. You know, the like hassle freeness of it, the pure exercise of it. I really like being off the ground too. Like my favorite day is kind of a non-committed, non-committal kind of multi-pitch route that's you know a thousand feet long. That's got everything on it from five ten to scary five twelve. You know that you can kind of there's a summit. You know, mm-hmm. I really do like being off the ground. I like to. Hassles of it, the pulling ropes, the rappelling, the you know the 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 mental game of it all. The, you know, it's more than just the, the the climbing part. It's knowing how to deal with the gear and the ropes and the wraps and working together as a team. Like for me, the the teamwork of multi pitch climbing is really cool. I, I really like that. I've never been into individual sports and. And I think that's probably why I like that kind of climbing because it is so teamwork intensive. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because I think people, because they contrast it with team sports, they mm-hmm. think of climbing as something of an individual sport, but it almost never is. I, I think s- sport sometimes in sport climbing and gym, you know, competition climbing is very individual, mm-hmm. and that's great. You know, that's probably why I've, I haven't really. Ex- excelled in that discipline of it because to me the teamwork part of it is half of it more than half of it Mm -hmm. so one thing that's always amazed me about at least the last few years of your life that um sort of i've known you better is that uh is how much you travel and you travel with jonathan um your husband quite a bit but also on your own and uh, can do you even know how many countries you've been to do you keep track oh i keep track no um i've been to I've been to over 40 countries I've climbed in over 30 something like 33 countries I've climbed in so yeah that's like a big a big deal to me I'm always no matter how much I love a place that I've been to the attraction to go to the next place is if I haven't been there before right so yeah for me it's like a I have like a passport stamp fetish right you know I want to just like go everywhere uh-huh. quality of the climbing or whatever is always secondary mm-hmm. when I decide to go on a trip it's never just about the climbing right no I'm sure you've gone to plenty of Joss piles uh, oh. in other countries <laughs> actually I've been pretty lucky <laughs> pretty lucky most of the places we've gone to have been good climbing right but I think I have pretty low standards. Yeah. So what is, uh, even if you include the U.S. Or, or international, what are a few of your, like, favorite climbing destinations that you've been to? Things that really blew you away? Um, Jonathan and I went to this, I uh, went to the Hand of Fatima in Mali a few years ago. 
And then actually it was probably one of my favorite climbing trips because, um, like I said earlier, you know, the climbing, the quality of the climbing is usually not, you know, paramount, but the, actually this place had amazing climbing, like multi-pitch climbing with, you know, like the, the average pitch would be 200 foot pitch that had you know, used a rack and 12 quick draws mm-hmm. you know so it was mixed mm-hmm. like I really like mixed stuff I like having to protect faces with gear um, and then obviously I like clipping bolts too right and and it was towers so mm-hmm. there was a summit um, and then we lived in this cool little village no, it wasn't even a village it was like this camping area that just had grass huts and the culture was really far removed from uh, from our culture, you know, which I really appreciate too. So, you know, I like going places where, you know, like here, where everything's just distilled down to your basic needs: food, water, shelter, fire, beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although we didn't have much there. We've got enough. Stop complaining about that. <laughs> We're almost out of beer, but we're leaving tomorrow. We're going to be fine. We have 15 boat and beers I left. Bartered, I bartered this interview with two of Chris's beers. Yeah, well, so it's I'm worth golden. it. Yeah, the normal cast will make up for it. Some donations will roll in to make up for it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> what else? What else you got in destinations? See, we're, oh God, we just, we went on this trip in Algeria, Jonathan and me, that was really cool, which I was really, really scared to go to because everybody that I told I was going to, go there was like oh you're gonna get kidnapped beheaded whatever um and i almost didn't go but in the end i did go and uh is he making too much noise uh probably jonathan can you not do that what can you give us like 10 more minutes yeah i don't give a fuck why because it's just really noisy it is yeah <laughs> we're we're almost done. Who we're, would have thought that I in. would be telling Jonathan not to do work? I know. I'm sorry. I know we need to get it done, but it's like super bangy, clanky, and this will pick it up for sure. Kickers, <laughs> it's okay. You just go to bed. Goddamn fucking perfectionists. So, um, Jonathan and I went to uh, Algeria this last year, and uh, that was probably one of the. That's probably my favorite trip. I don't want to say favorite because I was super scared before and most of the time during it. Um, But it was... You were scared because... I was scared because... I wasn't scared before. Like He's like, oh yeah, let's go to Algeria. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, Jonathan always does all the research on these trips. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I'll go, you know. Um... And then I got, like, an ounce of information. Of course, it was from people that were like, why are you going there? You're going to get your head cut off. You're going to get kidnapped. You know, they hate Americans there. And, you know, I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, God, you know, we had to, you know, get these special visas to go. We had to have guides. And, you know, this one French guy that I respect a lot, Arnaud Petit, had been there. And I emailed him. And he's like, why are you going to Algeria? You're crazy. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, Arnaud's telling me we're crazy this has got to be sketchy and yeah because that guy's been everywhere yeah and um and so i was like what the fuck you know why why are we going to algeria jonathan you know days before i remember we had this horrible fight about it and and you know he was just like 
okay, fine, you know, I've been wanting to go here my whole life, but if you don't want to go, we won't go. And, you know, it breaks my heart to not, to, I don't know, to do anything that takes away from his enthusiasm to go someplace. And I definitely didn't want to do that, and that was part of it. And the other part was, you know, I realized that my biggest fear was being kidnapped. And then I realized, well, you know, worrying about being kidnapped, going, you know, new rooting in a remote country is kind of counterproductive because the chances of, you know, you getting kidnapped are far lower than the chances of you getting hurt climbing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just stupid. It's like I've known four people to ever get kidnapped and 20 people died climbing. So it's like you're going to die climbing before you're going to get kidnapped. And then... I also had to believe that Jonathan wouldn't want to take me someplace where I would get hurt, you know. And so, literally two days before, I was like, okay, fine, we're going. And, um, but I was still, you know, really scared. And, <clears throat> you know, we had these guides, these tourist guides pick us up at the airport and take us in these Jeeps. And, wow, we just went around the country where we didn't see anyone and you know we got to live kind of you know like these guys live in the desert with nothing you know but firewood and some food and you know we would go off and climb these towers that no one had been on before and you know come back and be in the trust of these people these people like had our our lives were in their hands essentially and all the while people telling me that they hate Americans, they hate women, and they took care of us better than they were like are taking a bullet for us. You know, like these people were so caring and so sensitive to our needs. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Were you able to communicate with them well? Did they speak um, English at all? They spoke French. Oh, okay. Their, their second language is French, and, you know, I kind of speak French, and so... That was the other cool thing, is that because it was just Jonathan and me, you know, every night we were just around the fire with these three guys. Mm -hmm. And it's it's tiring and pain in the ass just speaking a, a second language. If it's not like, you know, you're fluent in it. Right. And, you know, they were so patient, and it was just, because it was just the two of us, but that's what we did every night. We didn't, like, go off with six other Americans to our camp. And sure, so, you yeah. Know, we were, like, fully immersed mm -hmm. in this with these people and uh it was definitely something i'll never forget and i'm very you know thankful for to be able to experience that did you get any sense from those guys uh what they thought of the fact that you'd come all that way to go climbing on these yeah towers? no like, for sure like they had not i mean they were you know they had guided other foreigners around these areas before but they had never had climbers before and that was the other cool thing is that, you know, I think legally they weren't supposed to let us out of their site. You know, they could have probably lost their jobs okay. for letting us go off and climb these fucking towers, you know, out of their site for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you risking could tell, your lives. Yeah, and right. you could tell they were a little nervous about it, you know. But they could also were sensitive enough to know that that was our passion and that's what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it was, they risked it, risked their livelihood for our 
what we wanted to do, you know, our objective, our our well-being, you know, but at the same time worried about us because they had no concept. I remember one time we saw this this tower, it looked like Devil's Tower, and they had never driven up to it before, no one had ever been up to it before, and they're like, uh, how are you going to, you know, you can't go there, how you, there's no trail there, how, how, how can you get there? And I'm just like, well, we can see it, you know? Okay. <laughs> And they're like, oh, but it's, it's, it's like, it's the desert, it's 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 hard terrain. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. You know, if we're not back in six hours, you know, there's a problem, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there, okay? We can see it. Mm-hmm. And so it was really heartwarming to, to realize that those guys were going to, let us do that right you know especially as a a, a woman too people that they were used to get out of the car take a couple pictures and get back right you know I mean they could have gotten in real trouble sure because they were used to uh, running like European tourists and Mm -hmm. like on road sort of safari kind of tours what was so cool to me is how sensitive they were to the fact that this was our passion Mm -hmm. this is why we had traveled all the way over there was to go and climb and get to the top of a stupid rock Mm -hmm. you know which is I mean, I wouldn't be able to understand that if <laughs> if I wasn't involved in it. Right. And they would be so happy when we come back. Right. You know? <laughs> we were alive. They would dance and <laughs> have these wonderful really? meal. Oh yeah, yeah. They were genuinely <laughs> concerned about right. us. You know. That's awesome. So looking at uh, let's uh, let's let's go into the big picture here. So you made this decision in 1995. Oh, we're back for in 1995, are we? 1994-95 to become a climber. Um, no, that's the thing. I never wanted to be a climber. I just wanted to climb. Okay. I just wanted to climb. I just wanted that lifestyle. I didn't care what it was. Isn't it the same thing? I don't think so. No? Is it? Becoming a climber and wanting to climb and have the lifestyle? Well, I guess so. I didn't... I didn't... I don't know. I never, like, thought to myself, I want to be a climber. I just wanted to climb and have that lifestyle. Okay. And maybe there isn't a difference, but... So, either way, you made this transition. Yeah. Right. Now it's, what did we say, 22 minus 1, 20, 18 years later? I mean, where does it put your life? This super, like, enriched life where I have, like, this amazing community of friends and that, you know, I don't think a lot of people have you know i think the experiences that you gain in climbing the partnerships that you have i guess i don't have that much to compare it to but i have like i said this great community of friends you know and i've traveled all over the world as not just a tourist but someone that gets you know because climbing you know there's lots of people that have gone all over the world and traveled but i feel that like traveling as a climber really gets you into the you know the the local people and getting to experience it that way instead mm-hmm. of just as a normal tourist mm-hmm. um oh i agree with you 100 percent. yeah because you get off the beaten path by yeah. design yeah and you're also usually you know I mean, how else could you do that you're on a budget i don't even know how else you could do that like i always maintain that if my arms fell off tomorrow my life wouldn't change that much I'd still want to travel and I'd still want to have these experiences, but I don't know how you would do it. 
You could be an archaeologist or something. Right, or a trekker. I mean, I think it. I think it's possible. It's just really unusual, mm-hmm. you know, to travel that way. Regardless, I mean, not to say climbing is the only way to do it. No, certainly. But it's not. a really specific way of interacting that you. I guess surfing. Yeah, you you, you, you are often on a serious budget, and people. Yeah. I think that's as much of anything. You know, when you have a lot of money or you have a big budget, you've got intermediaries between you and yep. sort of the mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the concierge or the person, your right. travel agent or your handler or your fixer, which sometimes climbers need too in certain countries. But as soon as you are like spending $10 a night on lodging, that means you're living with the people yeah, that yeah. own the place. For sure. You're you know? insulated by right. this. Yeah. Certain not luxury but yeah absolutely luxury you know because that it works that way in the united states too if you're you're in a luxury hotel the 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 maids and the and aren't supposed to talk to you they're not actually supposed to interact with you (laughs) literally and it's the same way in other countries you know if you're because you guys uh you guys went to oman Mm -hmm. and stayed in a pretty didn't you say tell me you stayed in a really nice hotel one night (laughs) yeah the last night right we were there and you you know right there is the stark the whole humor of it Mm -hmm. is the stark contrast of you guys walking into this all bloody and dirty (laughs) right but that was the sign of a good hotel because actually they didn't treat us any differently than I think they treated the people that were there with a shit ton of money. Right, right. You know, I remember the guy offering Jonathan a glass of green tea and he reached, Jonathan reached out his hand. His hand was still all bloody and goby and the guy was like, oh, you all right, sir? <laughs> you know? Jonathan's like, yeah, why? And then he looked out and said, oh yeah, my hand is right. bloody. <laughs> I just murdered someone. <laughs> So again, sort of looking back at the last eighteen years, where you've where you've you know wanted to climb or become a climber, however we want to put that, and you've made a professional life out of it, not necessarily a professional climber, but you know it's all connected to how you make your living. Um, are there anything you can point to like transitional experiences? Mm, I don't know. It's always been kind of really. I want to say luck because like luck's winning the lottery mm-hmm. but it's definitely I felt like I've had this charmed life where like I've just been either at the right place at the right time or um, yeah I don't know what it is I don't, I don't know like I don't want to say oh it's because I worked my ass off for it because I don't feel like I've worked my ass off for it you know I feel like I've always I've made decisions that were risky that some people wouldn't have been comfortable with, you know, and been willing to risk certain things, but I I, I never felt like, oh, I'm working really hard for this, you know, like, it wasn't like, like that, I think more than anything, it was just, I've always had this weird gut feeling that things will work out, willing to not know where the next paycheck was going to come from. I mean, hell, I don't even know that now, you know. Mm-hmm. But who does? It's like people with nine-to-five jobs can be fired tomorrow. Right. You know? So. So, 
uh, Jonathan's article is coming out in Alpinist about Algeria soon. Is yes. that right? Mm-hmm. So people can look for that. So what do you guys uh, what do you guys have on the plate? I mean, we're in uh, we're actually on the Green River. We're we're floating out this tomorrow. This is a pretty fun fucking adventure that <laughs> yeah. we just had. So we got in. Um, uh, well, Jonathan and I drove from Salt Lake. You came from Carbondale, and we met what up there on the road. Borrowed a boat that was welded together the night before. Put in. Jonathan was a rower. What were you, JT? Raft guide. Raft guide. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a fucking rower. <laughs> I wasn't a Remember last ship. weekend? We were both like, who's going to row the boat? Row Do the you boat. know how to row? <laughs> And you were like, oh, he used to guide boats. I was like, done. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. We're the- but the funny thing is we all agreed to it. None of us knew, like, how the hell it was going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're just like, that's the thing. That's the awesome thing about climbing. It's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. You know, minor details. Who's going to row the boat? Oh, yeah. Jonathan used to row. I mean, raft. Row, raft, raft guide, row, yeah. whatever it is. So, I just love adventures, like... <laughs> You know, it's so crazy. We just, like, come down on this raft, find this sandbar, pull up, put up our tents, our tables, climb these towers. I love adventures like that. Like, anything like that, I'm always game for, you know. Um, uh, We're going to go to Yemen in March. The Socorro, what is it? Socotra Island. Socotra Island. Baby, it's Socotra Island <laughs> off the coast of Yemen. Now say it. Socotra Island off the coast of Yemen. It's really close to Syria. Is it Syria? Somalia. Somalia. <laughs> Let's start over the whole deal. <laughs> I'm going to the Dominican Republic next week. Right on. That's yep. what we want to hear. Yep. Uh, I have no idea where it's at. I know it shares a landmass with Haiti. I like to go to these places, and I agree to go to these places, but I have no idea where they're at. Like, I would be the biggest idiot geographically if I didn't if I didn't travel. Like, I, I mean, when I went to Oman, I had no idea where it was. In fact, like people would ask me where I was going. I'd be like, oh, Oman. Like, oh, where's that? Like, night Arabs and Mariners? Like, I wouldn't even know how to say United Arab Emirates. <laughs> yeah, so I thought <laughs> So I, 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 uh, yeah, I don't do much, much research about the places I go to. But once I'm there, I'm very interested and I learn real good. <laughs> All right, well, we got to rig up and get the fuck out of here. Because we're out of beer. We are out of beer, and we're almost out of rolling papers, too. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks a lot for sitting down. I know it was a little bit funky, but uh, I appreciate it. No, I hope you got something out of it. And, uh, you know, we've been I've known you longer than I've known Jonathan, Chris. So Technically. Yeah, it's kind of cool. That's another cool thing about climbing is how, like, things come full circle and how it's a really small community and you know years and years can go by or whatever and then you find yourself on a a sandbar 15 years later totally those people that is a trip and thanksgiving jonathan and i have known each other 20 years so 
It's been a long time. We are, we spent Thanksgiving together last year, too, in Sicily. Oh, yeah. yeah and so. Luigi. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Brittany. Okay. All right, is that enough uh, Gilligan's Island remixes for you? Thank God for the internet. We could have gone our entire lives, people, without ever hearing Gilligan's Island sung to Stairway to Heaven. So thanks for listening. Once again, as usual, don't forget to check us out on Facebook. And by us, I mean me. (laughs) I've actually started saying that so much that it's like... I keep turning around and looking for somebody else when I say it, but it's just me. Um, yeah, so go to the Facebook page, go to iTunes, and write us a... Uh, <laughs> I said it again. <laughs> okay, it's getting late. Write a review on iTunes, and I think that helps somehow. I'm not exactly sure how, but um, not that savvy in any of this stuff yet, even though it is coming up on our one-year anniversary, 25 episodes next time. So tune in for that. And also down the road, um, I actually managed to get another uh, show out of this trip. Only this time the MP3 player was strapped to the raft. So we'll see what that sounds like. And I hope the fire noise wasn't too much for you. All right, get out there and sit around your own campfire. We're going to need it for the next couple of months. It's wintertime, people. And don't forget while you're out there to check your knot and while you're at it, check your partners. And why don't you glance over at that guy next to you that you don't even know and check his or hers.